So we're jumping right in this morning. Jumping right in. Isaiah 55. Isaiah 55, verse 10 and 11. Let me just read those two verses because everything we're doing this morning over the next 30 minutes or so is rooted in Isaiah 55, verses 10 and 11. There we read, As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return to it, without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So my word that goes, that goes out from my mouth will not return to me empty. And I will accomplish what I desire and achieve, the purpose for which I have sent it. Okay. So this morning what we're going to do is we're going to read a lot of Bible. And then I'm going to walk off stage. I'm going to read a lot of Bible, have some running commentary along the way, and then I'm done. This morning, I have no direct application for you set in my mind. I have no next step for you. I have one thing maybe you can grab as you're walking out. I literally this morning am going to lean on Isaiah 55, 10 and 11 and believe that if we read a lot of Bible together, that God's going to do what God's going to do. And he doesn't need all of my fancy footwork or wordsmithing of an application and a next step. Now, you'll need it next week, but this week, you just need the Bible. Here's why. This week, I had three funerals, three funerals that came on my plate, and it was a blessing to be able to do each one of them. In November at this point, I've done five. But this week, I was around a lot of people who were mourning, people who were suffering. One one particular family uh, suffering a lot, just not knowing why this person died when they did. Why? Why now? It it was not necessarily immediate, but it was a sickness that came on very quick. Why now? A family asking why. I even read at the funeral, uh, the, you know, some words from one of his best friends and it was why. And then I read some words from the mom and the mom said, this is not the way it's supposed to be. I'm not supposed to bury my child. So, so a lot of whys this week. I sat with a lot of whys this week. I also have several pastor friends who are in a larger church, and the lead pastor of that large, larger church is being exposed for a lot of manipulation and deception, and they're really struggling. One of them is even struggling if he should stay in ministry. And I'm telling you, if you knew this guy, you would say, you are made to be in ministry. His heart just beats for teaching people God's Word and caring for them. He's struggling. So I've talked to some friends struggling, and one of their big questions is, why is this guy allowed to keep doing what he's doing? Because he's spinning lots of deception and a lot of people are being caught up in it thinking that he's changing. And no, he's not. He's just gotten really good at getting away with doing bad things. And so these pastor friends, these are the people, these are people that know the Bible and they're asking, why? Why is the injustice allowed to continue? And I just had just a lot of other meetings this week. People hearing people's life stories. And so I thought, man, I, as we come to the sermon this week, I thought, man, I don't, I mean, First Peter's good, but that's not where I've been this week. I've been with a lot of people asking why. And so typically I just don't go off, off script, go off schedule and, you know, bring a, bring a sermon that was, did not exist until days before, but this morning, that's what we're going to do. Because I, I have this sinking suspicion that the people I sat with this week, the people that I was talking to by, by phone, weren't the only ones asking 
why? Like, why are these bad things happening? Imagine some of you might be asking that question, or you will ask that question, or you have asked that question. Why now? Why this injustice? Why this pain? What's going on? And maybe some of you are looking at things happening around the world or in our country, maybe even things in our region, and wondering, why is God not doing something right now? So it's what I want to do is I just want to lean in on that Isaiah 55 passage and just say, let's sit in God's Word. Let God's Word do something for you. And then I'll leave it there. So this morning we're going to read a whole book of the Bible. One whole book of the Bible with only two other passages to supplement it. That's it. We're going to turn to the prophet Habakkuk. Probably one of my favorite, probably one of my favorite books of the Bible. Habakkuk. Now, if you are not familiar with how to work through the physical Bible, don't be embarrassed. Just go to the table of contents because it is very small. It's three chapters. It's like three pages in my Bible. I mean, you're going you're gonna to miss it like that. So the book of Habakkuk. It's a very short prophecy. Habakkuk, we don't know a lot about him beyond this book. He is preaching to the people of God just before they go into Babylonian captivity. So he's preaching somewhere around, uh, somewhere around 620, 630 B.C., uh, before Christ. Uh, that may not anchor anyone chronologically, but that's when he's preaching. The northern kingdom has already been taken off. And now we're about 150, uh, about 100, 100 years later, and we have the prophet Habakkuk now preaching to the people of God in the southern kingdom. There are people who have gone wayward. This is the people who have become very wicked. Habakkuk is preaching in to a situation that has become very dark. But man, this book has a lot to say to us. So again, we're just going to walk right through it, some running commentary along the way, and I'm just going to trust that the Holy Spirit's going to do His work with God's Word to create faith wherever you need it. We pick up book of Habakkuk, chapter 1, verse 1. The prophecy that Habakkuk the prophet received I don't know if you have it in your Bible. There's a subheading. you see this maybe in some of your Bibles? Mine says Habakkuk's complaint. So right off the bat, we don't even know what he received, but he's complaining. You ever had the desire to complain to God? Right here in the Bible. The prophet will complain. We pick up here, verse 2. How long, Lord, must I call for help, but you don't listen? Or cry out to you, violence, but you do not save. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrongdoing? Destruction and violence are all before me. There is strife and conflict abounds. Therefore, the law is paralyzed and justice never prevails. The wicked hem in the righteous so that justice is perverted. So, quite a, quite a, quite a way to start up the book. And I'm just wondering, do you feel this? Have you ever felt this? God, why aren't you doing something? Don't you know what's going on? Yet you're not doing anything. And here's the situation. The people, the wicked in the land are prospering. Like, they're doing just fine. Injustice is running rampant. Where is God? And back in... It's pretty blunt about all of that. And I just wonder, I wonder if you resonate with that. I know that the families I was sitting with, they were resonating with that feeling. 
I know that mom was. Why am I burying my child? The prophet is speaking in to real life here. Some of you, this may be the first time you've ever read this passage, and you're like, wow, I didn't know that was in the Bible. You mean you can complain to God? Yes, God can handle your complaints. Now, we're going to, we just, we don't stop there. This is not where the book will stop. You just don't yell at God and walk off. Let's continue. Verse 5, the Lord's answer. Look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed, for I'm going to do something in your days that you would not believe even if you were told. We just stop there. We all want God to give us an answer. We all want to know why. Here God says, if I told you why, you wouldn't believe me. Sometimes we don't get an answer for God for the why about bad things happening or why wickedness continues. Because even if we got the answer, we wouldn't believe it. That's how much we think we have, we have an understanding of the world. If it wouldn't fit our box, inside our box, we'd say, oh, I don't believe it, God. Let's continue. Verse 6. He says this, I am raising up the Babylonians, that ruthless, as impetuous people who sweep across the whole earth to seize dwellings, not their own. Now, we're going to continue reading. Just stop here. He says, I'm bringing a very wicked people. I'm going to raise up a wicked people. Now, just, want you to just keep in mind, this is very important to understand the book. Habakkuk is looking around in the land and he sees wickedness prospering, no justice prevailing. And God says, don't you worry, I'm going to raise up a very wicked people. That's not the thing I'd be, that's not the answer I'd be expecting. Like, I'd be expecting Superman's on the way. Like, I'm sending in the dream team. The Avengers are at the door. Not, I'm sending in the Green Goblin. I'm, I'm sending in the Joker. Like, you get it, I'm just trying to keep with the comic theme here. But, you get it, like, I'm sending in Hitler. Like, what? What? Like, I'm looking, for, I'm looking for the United States coming in, not Nazi Germany. Let's continue. I just want you to know, this is the kind of thing he's about to describe. Pick up verse 8. Their horses are swifter than leopards, fiercer than wolves at dusk. Their cavalry gallops headlong. Their horsemen come from afar. They fly like an eagle swooping to devour. They all come intent on violence. Their hordes advance like a desert wind and gather prisoners like sand. They mock kings and scoff at rulers. They laugh at all fortified cities by building earthen ramps to capture them. Then they sweep past like the wind and go on. Guilty people whose own strength is their God. These are not, these are not people who worship the God of Israel. This is a very wicked people. And God says, I'm raising them up. Don't you worry. i got an answer. Habakkuk's got something to say to all this. Verse 12. Lord, are you not from everlasting, my God, my Holy One? You will never die. You, Lord, have appointed them to execute judgment. You, my rock, have ordained them to punish. Your eyes are too pure to look on evil. You cannot tolerate wrongdoing. Why then do you tolerate the, uh, the treacherous? Why are you silent when the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? You have made people like the fish in the sea. Like the sea creatures that have no ruler, the wicked foe pulls them all up with hooks. He catches them in his net. He gathers them up in his dragnet. And so he rejoices and he's glad. Therefore, he sacrifices to his net. He burns incense to his dragnet. For by his net, he lives in luxury and enjoys the choicest foods. He is to keep on emptying his net, destroying nations without mercy. 
You can hear you hear the complaint. You're going to let these people come in and just just wipe house. But you're a pure God. How can you let this happen? Why are you letting injustice happen? This makes no sense. And and Habakkuk's describing how wicked it's going to get. And then after they destroy the people, they're going to worship their tools that allowed them to do it. And they're going to think they they are they are the gods of the world. They'll actually worship their strength. What are you doing, God? You are holier than this. Verse 1, chapter 2, verse 1. Here's what Habakkuk then leans into. I will stand at my watch. I'll station myself on the ramparts. I will look to you to see what he will say to me and what answer I am to give to this complaint. And here's what the Lord says. The Lord replied, Write down the revelation. Make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits, uh, awaits, awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and it will not prove false. Though it linger, wait for it. It will certainly come and will not delay. I feel like this is, this is where Tolkien might have picked up Gandalf's famous phrase when, when he's critiqued for being late. I don't know if you're tracking with me, Lord of the Rings. Just go with me, whoever I'm hitting at this point. Where, whoever I'm, whoever I'm, I'm with, whoever's with me. And Gandalf says, I, I, I'm never late or early. I arrive just when I mean to. Here God says, here God says, wait for it. But it will not delay. Now, wait a minute. If you're asking me to wait for it, then there's a delay. But God says, but there is no delay. Just like Gandalf, God will arrive just when he means to. And he tells Habakkuk, you wait. You wait. I know you don't understand what I'm doing. And, and I, this, is, this is that piece where, like, why is a mom burying her child? Why, why am I, have I been diagnosed with this disease? Why is my family falling apart? Why is all of this happening? God is sovereign. None of it's taking Him by surprise. Wait for what God will do. Don't you worry. God will do it. This is what he's telling Habakkuk. i got a plan. You just wait. You wait. And then he drops into verse 4. This is actually a very famous verse, by the way, in the New Testament. Coming up. Here's what, here's what we read. See, the enemy is puffed up. His desires are not upright, but the righteous person will live by his faithfulness. There's the two ways of living. You can live in your own strength, thinking you've got it all figured out, or you live by faith. What faith? The faith that God will not delay. Though it linger, you wait. But He will arrive just when He means to. Because God is sovereign, He is holy, and nothing He does is a surprise. To us, yes, but to God, no. It is in His perfect will. Man, I know this rubs against all of us the wrong way because we'd like to think we, we could have it all figured out. And we actually, we know the best way things should, should run in the world. But that's just us trying to be God again. God is God. And He says, don't you worry. I don't know why a mom buried her son this week. But I know God is sovereign. I know that. And I know He's good. And you lean on that. And what do you do with that? 
where you don't act wicked and think you've got it all under control. You live by faith and you trust He's good. That's what you do. Keep going. So look how bad it's actually going to get now. Indeed. So we're going to, now I want you to see what God's going to do to the Babylonians. That wicked people that God's going to use to judge the less wicked people, watch what's going to happen. Because God's not going to leave the Babylonians there. He's actually using their wickedness for good. Indeed, wine betrays him. He is arrogant and never at rest. Uh, okay, running commentary. Just for, I told you, I didn't know. I, I didn't pick up on this uh, in all the times I was reading it before, thinking what I would comment on. If you're arrogant and you think you're the center of the world, you can guarantee there will be lots of unrest to follow your, to, to, that, that will be the fruit in your life. A lot of people have unrest because of the arrogance they're holding in their heart. Not all the time, but you can guarantee it if you think you're the center of the world, you're going to have unrest. So if, if some of you are like, man, I'm just really anxious all the time, there are a lot of reasons for anxiety. But one of them is you think you're the center of the world. Okay, let's continue. I, I say all that to my stuff as well. Um, part of my great stress. Okay, all right. All right, we don't need none of that. That was just that was just that was just rhetorical. Was that test? Did test say amen? Okay. George, can I sleep at your house tonight? Would that be okay? Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. All right. Here we go. Because I'm in verse five. Because he is greedy as the grave, and like death is never satisfied. He gathers to himself all the nations, takes captives all the peoples. But will not all of them taunt him with ridicule and scorn, saying, here's the judgment now coming against the Babylonians. Woe to him who piles up stolen goods and makes himself wealthy by extortion. How long must this go on? Will not your creditors suddenly arise? Will not they wake up and make you tremble? Then you will become their prey. Because you have plundered many nations, the people who are left will plunder you. For you have shed human blood. You've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Woe to you who builds his house by unjust gain, setting his nest on high to escape the clutches of ruin. You've plotted the ruin of many people, shaming your own house, forfeiting your life. The stones of the wall will cry out. The beams of the woodwork will echo it. Woe to him who builds a city with bloodshed and establishes a town by injustice. Has not the Lord Almighty determined that the people's labor is only fuel for the fire? The nations exhaust themselves for nothing? For the earth, check this, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. As God brings judgment, don't you worry. God will get His glory. And His glory is the most valuable thing in the world. It's actually what will make us most happy. You were created for God's glory, therefore you will be happy with His glory. God here is very clear. Don't you worry. Things will be turned right. He will make sure of it. Injustice will not win in the end. Alright, here it is. Verse 15. Woe to him who gives drink to his neighbors, pouring it from the wineskin. Now this is pretty graphic, by the way. Pouring it from the wineskin until the neighbor's drunk so that he can gaze on their naked bodies. I feel like not a lot's changed in some ways there. 
You will be filled with shame instead of glory. Now it is your turn. Drink and let your nakedness be exposed. The cup from the Lord's right hand is coming around to you and disgrace will cover your glory. I just make a note here just for those of you that remember the story of Jesus. He's in the Garden of Gethsemane. Do you remember this? And, and, and he's talking about drinking the cup, that he has to drink the cup of suffering. That's the cup of God's wrath. It's the same kind of cup we're referred to here in verse 16. That the people will drink a cup of God's judgment. By the way, Jesus is the one who ultimately drinks His judgment for His people because He takes their sin onto Himself. Okay, Gospel's right there. Alright, here it is. Verse 17, The violence you have done to Lebanon will overwhelm you and, their, and your destruction of animals will terrify you. For you have shed human blood, you've destroyed lands and cities and everyone in them. Of what value is an idol carved by craftsmen or an image that teaches lies? For the one who makes it trusts in his own creation. He makes idols that cannot speak. Woe to him who says to wood, come to life or to lifeless stone, wake up. Can it give guidance? Is it covered with gold and silver? There is no breath in it. The Lord is in his holy temple. Let all the earth be silent before him. When God's judgment comes, I know we often think that's just God being mean. No, this is God making things right. That's what God's doing. And so I know there's a lot of why questions, and Habakkuk ultimately is not going to get a full answer. But what God does say is, my glory will be spread across the world. So don't you worry. All the injustice you see, all the things that you go, why in the world? Don't you worry. The day's coming where it would all be made right for God's people. I don't know why a mom buried her son this week, but I do know this, that I know God's glory in the end will spread across the world and all things will be made right in His justice. Like It's like a little kid holding on to dad's hand walking into a dark room. That kid has no idea what's in the dark room, but the only reason they go without fear is because they're holding the hand of their dad. So in a lot of ways, we walk in life by faith. Back to chapter four, uh, chapter 2, verse 4. We walk by faith, not because we got it figured out. Actually, if you had it figured out, you wouldn't even believe it was figured out. You walk by faith. Trusting that God is good. That's what you do. Okay, so let's end here. Chapter 3. This is actually my favorite part. So Habakkuk's now going to move into a prayer. Now, I told you we're going to supplement this with one other passage. I'm just going to tell you about it. It's Joshua chapter 10. There's this moment where in Joshua 10, something stands still in the sky. Do you remember the story? The sun stands still and gives extra time so that the victory can come to God's army. So what's going to happen in this prayer is that Habakkuk's going to cry out that God would do again what he did in the past. And it's, it's literally, it's just a chapter of hyperlinks. Hyperlinks linking back to previous moments in Israel's history where you know God did amazing things and Habakkuk's going to pray, God, would you please do those things that I know you did in the past, would you do them again? One of them is, just make the sun stand still. Another one is, would you rescue your people? Like when you brought them out of Egypt and you destroyed you know, Pharaoh's army, would you please do something like that again? Please do something amazing? Have you ever had that kind of prayer? I know you've had that kind of prayer. I'm sure you have prayed, God, I have no idea how you will save this person. Would you please save them? That doesn't mean God's going to do it all, but it means, man, God, do it again. Please do it again. Here's the prayer. Chapter 3. 
a prayer of Habakkuk, the prophet. Verse 2, Lord, I have heard of your fame. Like I've heard about how you, used, you did some amazing things in the past. I stand in all of your deeds, Lord. Would you repeat them in our day, in our time, make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. God came from Tim, uh, Timon, the Holy One, from Mount Paran. His glory covered the heavens. His praise filled the earth. His splendor was like the sunrise. Rays flashed from His hand where His power was hidden. I just want you to imagine Mount Sinai at this point where God's glory was being revealed when the Ten Commandments were given to His people, when the people were rescued out of Egypt. Just imagine, I mean, we're now in some very uh, poetic language here. Just, God, I know how amazing You were when You did these amazing things. Please, would You do that again? Because I have no idea what's happening because all I see is wicked people, wicked people prospering. Verse, uh, verse, uh, verse 5, Plague went before them. Pestilence followed his steps. He stood. He shook the earth. He looked and made the nations tremble. The mount, ancient mountains crumbled. The age-old hills collapsed. But he marches on forever. I saw the tents of Kushan in distress. The dwellings of Midian in anguish. Were you angry with the rivers, Lord? Was your wrath against the streams? Did you rage against the sea? When you rode on your horses and your chariots to victory, you covered your bow. You called for many arrows. You split the earth with rivers. The mountains saw you and writhed. Torrents of water sped by. The deep roared and lifted its waves on high. Sun and moon stood still in the heavens at the glint of your flying arrows, at the lightning of your flashing spear. In wrath you strode through the earth. In anger you threshed the nations. You came out to deliver your people, to save your anointed one. You crushed the leader of the land of wickedness. You stripped him from head to foot. This is all Exodus here. This is all linking to the Exodus. You saved your people when they were in slavery. Would you just do that again? Verse 13, uh, verse 14. With your own spear, you pierced his head. With his warriors, stormed out to scatter us. Gloating as though they were about to devour the wretched who were in hiding, you trampled the sea with your horses, churning the great waters. Now Habakkuk's going to move into probably one of, the, one of the better known passages. Actually, one of my favorite passages in all the Bible. Someone remember this. If I die early, or you're still living when I die, whatever the case, Get this scripture read at my funeral right here and you remember it yourself. Now, I'm not sure all of you will miss me, but maybe my oldest son will. He loves me right now. He loves me. He loves me so much. Um, you read this passage and never forget it. Because Habakkuk's now going to remember. He's going to now reflect on all, God, all that God has told him. Where God said, remember, I'm bringing lots of judgment. You're going to see lots of violence. You're going to see a lot of injustice. But don't you worry. I'm bringing something in your day. You wouldn't believe even if I told you. But Habakkuk now is reflecting on all the evil he will see as the Babylonians come in. He knows the vision is here. He doesn't know when it will come. But now he waits. Now he reflects on all that. And he says this in verse 16. We're going to read all. We're going to just pull it all the way down to the end. I heard and my heart pounded. My lips quivered at the sound. Decay crept into my bones. And my legs trembled. And yours would too if you heard that was coming. Yet, 
I will wait patiently for the day of calamity to come on the nation invading us. Remember, that's the moment God's glory is going to be revealed because He's going to deal with evil. I will wait patiently for the glory of the Lord. It's a link back to what we've already read. I will wait patiently. I've got no idea why, but I'm going to wait patiently. I will see, I know that I will see your glory. I wait patiently. Even though, actually, this is quite scary. Then verse 17. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, the field produces no food, Though there are no sheep in the pen, no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. The Sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer and enables me to tread on the heights. You know what life looks like when the fig tree, the grapevines, the olive crops, the fields, and the stalls are all Empty. You know what that equals? Death. We got all uppity when we didn't have toilet paper. There's no food. No food. Life falling apart. And yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Why? Because the Sovereign Lord is my strength. I will rejoice even if I starve. A heart attack may take my heart, but I will rejoice. I may bury a child or all of them, but I will rejoice. This is the call of every follower of Jesus. Even if life falls apart, I will be joyful. Because I know the one who holds me is good. And all will be well. This is one of my favorite scriptures because, man, it doesn't get any worse than there is no more life. And yet I will rejoice. So, so, so why are bad things happening? I don't know. And can you see? God doesn't give an answer. But He says, my glory will be revealed. My plan will come to fruition. And Habakkuk sees all of that and says, okay, if it all falls apart, if there's nothing left, I will rejoice. Now, I don't got all that figured out. And I haven't landed my heart there fully. But that's my goal. I want to be the kind of person that if I lose everything, like if my family is taken out in an accident, I will stand on this stage and I will say, I rejoice in the Lord. Because in 50 years, it's all going to be okay anyway for me. I'm assuming that I don't live very long. But let's give it... Give it, give, it, give it 70 years. In 70 years, it will all be fine with me anyway. I will not give up the Lord for 70 years just because I'm mad. No. Because I know in 70 years, again, 70 years is because I know I'll be dead in 70 years if the Lord doesn't come back. In 70 years, I will be in the glory of the Lord. And I'm not trading 70 years of bitterness for eternity away from God. I'm not doing that. I will rejoice in the Lord. Let's end with one passage. It all sounds very familiar to another passage. Well, just this other passage, though, is just riddled with Jesus. Just to make it very clear. Romans 8. Maybe you know it. Romans 8. 
We'll walk out on this one. Not literally. We're not. You get it. I, someone was going to get up and, and walk out. Remember, Habakkuk ends by saying, my feet are going to be like the feet of a deer. My feet are going to be so secure I can walk on the ledge of a cliff. Even when life is tenuous, God will keep me strong. Sounds a lot like what Paul is about to say right here. Romans 8, we start with verse 31. We'll end on this passage. And I just trust God will do what He's going to do with this, with this word. Paul writes, verse 31, What then? What then? Shall we say in response to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He did not spare His own Son, but He gave Him up for us all. How will He not also along with Him graciously give us all things? Who will bring any charge against those whom God has chosen? Is it God who justifies? It is God who justifies. Who then is the one who condemns? No one. Christ Jesus who died, more than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble, hardship, persecution, famine, nakedness, danger, sword? As it is written, for your sake we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. Verse 37. No, in all things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am convinced that neither death, nor life, neither angels, nor demons, neither the present, nor the future, nor any powers, neither height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Therefore, I will rejoice in God my Savior. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. May Your Word now, as it's gone forth, it accomplish Your purpose. Give hope to those who are hopeless. Those right here who are struggling. Those who are asking why. Those who are experiencing pain. We stay connected to the One who is good. We want Your glory. We want all things that You have purposed. And we will wait patiently. And even if all life fails, we will say that we rejoice in the Lord. We rejoice in God, our Savior. The Sovereign Lord is our strength. And You make our feet like the feet of a deer walking on the heights. Now, would You help us do that in ordinary life? I just trust Your Word can do it and help us make application where we need it. And we pray it under Him who saved us by His blood. Jesus the Christ. Together we say, Amen.